0: it's Hannah. I just wanted to give a quick disclaimer about these first few episodes. First of all, if you're a new listener, welcome. And thank you so much for giving us a chance. We released the first three episodes of the Tales We Tell with myself and my husband, Jarek co-hosting. And then we found Katie. She is our regular co-host on the show. And all of the episodes from episode four on feature myself and her. So if you want to get more of a feel for what the show is normally like, feel free to skip ahead a few to episode four. Otherwise, enjoy these first three with Jarek. And thank you again for listening. Welcome to the Tales We Tell podcast. This is a podcast about spooky stories, unsolved mysteries, and local lore. I'm your host, Hannah Parch, and I have with me again this week my beautiful husband, Jarek.
1: I'm glad to be back. Thanks for inviting <laughs> me.
0: You're welcome. Thanks. Um, episode two, we're not sure when it's going to come out. We were just discussing that. Um, hopefully, very soon. And this week, do we have any updates?
1: Um, just a housewarming party. We had a housewarming just party, yep. very exciting. Lot, lots of fire going on
0: in the backyard, uh, yes. Um,
1: lots of serenade with guitars,
0: yes. There was some and guitar playing,
1: fun, fun games that we got to play. There
0: were some middle school party games played,
1: which I had to break out some Spanish and a little bit of magic mic music. It was a
0: very tame party, yeah. I think. The arc of parties, like, in your teens, they're really wild, and then they're pretty wild in your 20s, and then you hit your
1: 30s, and they just go
0: back to, like...
1: Well, it was a homewarming party, so it shouldn't have been like a Well, I know. But we're still in the hunt for a dog. We think we might have one, discovered. We're
0: hoping that by the time this podcast comes out, we have a dog. Yes. So, uh, just stay tuned. Everything you're hearing is probably a month
1: behind. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. that sounds about right.
0: It'll be fine. Yeah. Okay.
1: So, last week, or last episode.
0: Yes, recap for us. What did we learn last episode? All right. Episode?
1: So, the Utah house. The Creepy Utah things. House. Guys thumping against trees. Well, ghosts thumping against trees from mm-hmm. hangings. Um, little girls crying uh-huh. from being on the steps too long because they're. Angry mom. Uh-huh. No, that's not right. Possible squatters. Possible squatters. Is what I came up with. Other than that, trees flipping.
0: Pretty spooky place. Yeah. Okay. So this week, we're going in a different direction. We're going to do an unsolved mystery this week. And it is a true crime story, but it's unsolved. And we kind of talked about. You know, I enjoy a good true crime podcast, but we wanted to make ours a little different um, because there are a lot of great true crime podcasts out there. Um, So ours, we're going to call it Unsolved Mysteries. So just unsolved things that have happened in real life.
1: Murders that get away. (gasps) Assholes that should not be alive anymore, but they're still there. Sure.
0: None of that's the case in... This
1: next, (laughs) (laughs) I'm blowing stuff. Uh, Oh, that's okay. All right,
0: so this week uh, our unsolved mystery is from one of North Carolina's most mysterious areas, and that is Roanoke Island. If you don't know where Roanoke is, look at a map of North Carolina and look at the Outer Banks, which is that little thin strip of islands off the coast, and Roanoke is like in between those and the mainland. We're also going to have some maps on Instagram for this episode, so reference those because I'm going to be referencing them a lot.
1: Yes, I have those in front of me, so Derek I can has reference
0: printouts them. in front of him for reference.
1: I need visual guides.
0: <laughs> All right, so specifically on Roanoke Island, this is related to one of North Carolina's most famous mysteries, which is the Lost Colony. Uh Uh-huh. So, Jarek, do you know anything about The Lost Colony? Besides what I told you (laughs) in our previous run
1: of this episode. In the previous run? No, I can't even remember (laughs) yesterday's run.
0: Great. Okay.
1: All right. Please please tell me. All
0: right. The Lost Colony. I learned about this in, like, elementary school. And I really thought everyone else did, too. But then Jarek informed me that it's... Just, yeah,
1: oh, yeah, this is just a southern thing.
0: It's well, it's local, it's North Carolina history, yeah, but I guess they don't think that's important up in New York. So, here we go. Um, the year is 1587, and 117 men and women sail from England and they settled on Roanoke Island.
1: Plymouth Rock, oh, yes, I was so close,
0: <laughs> not Plymouth Rock, All right. Roanoke Island. Um, so that first year, a lot of stuff happened. Virginia Dare, if you know who she is,
1: not renewed, Bell
0: Literally told you about her yesterday. She was the first baby born to English parents on American soil, which is pretty cool. And her grandfather was the governor of that little colony. And that first year, I guess, was really rough. Um, And they ran out of resources really quickly. Like, they were not prepared at all for living on the coast. And so, at the end of that year, John White, who was the governor, returned to England. He was going to get some supplies and come back. But when he got to England, a bunch of stuff happened. And it ended up being three years before he could return.
1: Who is this? John White?
0: He's just the governor of the the little colony. He's not important. Uh, what is important is that when he returns in 1590, the settlement has been completely abandoned. It's like a ghost town. Um, the only clue as to what happened is the word Croatoan carved into a post, and then the letters C R O carved into a tree. And there were there was an Indian tribe nearby that was called the Croatan tribe. And so, there was a rumor that the settlers had, like, integrated with the tribe. Um, I know we talked a little bit about the possibility of, like, a raid and they were all killed. But it doesn't, it doesn't explain... It doesn't, it doesn't explain how someone had the time to carve the word into the,
1: a post as, like, a clue. Yeah. Well, maybe they maybe they did get brought into the tribe and they left. Or...
0: Well, no one's ever... Figured that out. So it's unsolved to this day.
1: So that's one unsolved. So that's one unsolved. So great. Far.
0: Thanks for listening. Have a great week. We'll be
1: back. Oh, done already? <laughs> no. I barely got any notes down.
0: Um, yeah, Jerick's taking notes yeah. as I'm telling this
1: story. I'd like to reference it. Because back. I
0: won't let him look at my notes. So if you hear a little paper rustling. Yeah, that's me. It's Jerick being studious. All right. Four years... Four, sorry,
1: four years 400 four. years so 16 no oh 400 years Not well
0: bad. first of all four years would have been
1: 1594 <sighs> i didn't do math on my <laughs> note page i'm sorry
0: all right 400 years later is when our story takes place and it is in 1967 It also takes place on Roanoke Island, and it is the disappearance and murder of Brenda Joyce Holland. So, real quick, most of the information that I was able to find on this case comes from a series of articles that were published in the Coastland Times newspaper in 2018. They were all written by John Rayleigh, and... In response to those articles, the SBI actually assigned a cold case investigator to Brenda's case to kind of reopen it. As far as I know, in the last two years, it has not been solved. So it's still unsolved. But here's what happened. Brenda was a 19-year-old college student at Campbell University. Fun fact, Campbell University is in Bowie's Creek, North Carolina, which is where Rhett and Link grew up.
1: Ah, Good Mythical Morning. Yeah, so if you watch Good good Mythical
0: Morning, Rhett and Link are from Bowie's Creek, and that's the only time that that'll come into play. That's just where the college is that she went to. She was the first member of her family to go to college, which is amazing, and by all the accounts that I read, she was living her life to the fullest... Um, every article had to mention for some reason that she had just dyed her hair blonde. Um, and I feel like as most women know, you, when you dye your hair, you're either having a crisis or like you're really feeling yourself.
1: Well, she's 19 years old. She's allowed to do what she wants.
0: I know. I'm, I'm just saying. All right. Dyeing your hair. And she went from brunette to blonde, which is great. In the summer of 1967, she was working in Manteo, North Carolina, which is on Roanoke Island, as the makeup supervisor for the Lost Colony production. And here's another little...
1: So they were found?
0: No. Oh. This is another little side note. The Lost Colony production, I didn't know anything about, but everyone that I mentioned it to knew exactly what I was talking about. It is uh, basically an outdoor drama that is performed on the site of the original lost colony. Um you sh- they have a website it's called thelostcolony.org. Um this is where I learned everything about them. According to their website they are the longest running outdoor symphonic drama. It is apparently this huge production. I've seen um things that say it's like bigger than a Broadway musical. And it's been running since 1937. And some places have credited this production with saving the town of Mantio from the Great Depression.
1: Man, I'm looking at the stage. I mean, it is huge.
0: <laughs> it looks really cool, right? It's like yeah. right on the water. So it's like backed up to the water. So if you're in the audience, it, yeah, and they and you can look a, over it.
1: They found a nice place to land.
0: Yeah, well, it didn't work out very well. Hmm. Anyways, uh, this production runs from May to August. Tickets are between $20 and $35, and this year, 2020, will be its 83rd season. So when it gets a little warmer out, Jarek and I are going to go. Right? Yay. (laughs) Yay! On June 30th, which was a Friday, Brenda went on a date with a Lost Colony cast member named Danny Barber. Danny was 24 years old he had served in the Army, and he was attending UNC Chapel Hill. And so I assume he was just doing what Brenda was doing, which is spending his summer in Manteo to work on the play. And it's not really clear if this was their first date or if they had kind of been seeing each other, but they don't ever refer to him as the boyfriend. So they kind of imply that it was kind of a casual thing.
1: Yeah, it's just a plaything.
0: Sure. Um, so they went to a local tavern, and then they went to Nags Head nearby to watch the fishermen. And then they went back to Danny's house on Burnside Road. that he, he shared that house with two roommates, Rodney and Earl. Danny and Brenda stayed up talking for a little bit until Danny eventually fell asleep, and Brenda decided to walk herself home. So at this point, she it's probably a little after midnight. Um, I mean, what are you going to do? Guy falls asleep. You're not going to sleep on his couch. The house she was staying at was on Ananias Dare Street, and that was just a couple blocks away. Yeah, Jarek, if you want to reference your map.
1: A couple blocks away from where? His house? From
0: his house. So he lived on Burnside Avenue, and she lived on Ananias Dare Street.
1: With a little map thing a thousand feet away.
0: It's a couple blocks.
1: Oh, a thousand feet's every mile. All right. Sorry.
0: (laughs) All right. So Brenda decides she's going to walk home um it's late she's by herself and that to anyone's knowledge is the last time anyone ever saw Brenda so it was later reported after she was discovered missing uh two separate witnesses reported hearing a woman scream late that night and other quote suspicious sounds such as scraping or dragging and a large car loud car starting up but um, they never conclusively linked that to her disappearance. Um, a coworker went to see Brenda the next day. They went over to her house and they found that she wasn't home, but they just thought that she had gone out with some friends, so they weren't concerned. And it wasn't until that evening, so Saturday evening, there's an eight forty-five showtime, and Brenda didn't show up for work, and that's when everyone realized that something was wrong.
1: Since she Get real, I guess. Yeah. So when they kind of are like, all right, she's been missing. Now, did anybody know she was at this guy's house? Yeah. So it's him?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think people, I mean, when it says they went to a tavern, it kind of um, implied that they saw people that they knew there. I mean, I don't think it was a secret that they were going out. Yeah. And also, how long, I mean, it, it got me thinking, how long, how how, what am I trying to say? How much time has to go by without you seeing or hearing from someone before you start to worry about them?
1: I mean, I get pretty worried when people don't show up at work. Well, but yeah. But that normally means that I'm getting stuck with other responsibilities. <laughs> but other well, than that.
0: And this is also 1967. Yeah,
1: I wouldn't think it would be much of an issue back then because it, it it's a different time.
0: I mean, but you go days without hearing from people.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I don't hear from some people. It's all right. I'm not going to be calling yeah, the cops but on them.
0: That one time that uh, you were getting a tattoo and you told me the wrong place.
1: I never told I, you the place. I, I, I couldn't get a hold I of you. Straight up, forgot to I tell you. I hadn't
0: heard from you for like, what two hours, two and hours I was anywhere. calling. Her brother like, i was calling were just, our neighbors
1: you were just fucking but, lost my fiance of a i know it's like he's died i'm positive and i am out. but i, I dipped early guys there was no tattoo but it was just a ploy
0: it, no he got a really sweet tattoo um sweet as in sentimental not like yeah. it was a sick tattoo uh, um but my parents like when they were dating they were long distance and they would not see each other, like, they would only see each other on weekends, and the only way they could talk to each other was, like, on the dorm phone, like, the dorm room phone, or, like, writing letters. They would literally go days without
1: hearing from each other. Uh, we went a few hours, hours <laughs> without hearing from each other. I don't right. know if it works out the way it's supposed to work out. I mean, in 1960s, I wouldn't have... I wouldn't have thought twice, I don't think, if I didn't hear from don't somebody. don't know what
0: you would have been like in the 1960s. Well, I
1: don't... Mm, I don't know.
0: <laughs> All right. So, anyways, back to this very sad story. At some point during that weekend, so she went... The last time she was seen was very late Friday night slash early, early morning, Saturday morning. And they discover that she's missing Saturday night. So it's a full day, almost, that goes by before it's discovered that she's missing At some point during the weekend, they report her missing to the police. And on Monday, her parents come down from Canton, North Carolina, which is in the mountains. And they come down to Mantio to, like, be a part of the search and, you know, figure out what's going on. Um, Search parties began looking for Brenda near a wooded area where her purse and wallet had been found. And about 75 members of the Lost Colony cast and crew helped the Sheriff's Department in their search. So it was really... Like the whole community got behind this. On, I'm,
1: I'm looking up Mantial.
0: It's really yeah. small.
1: Yeah. Well, you said it was on the, like a stretch of land, so it's the island that's in between.
0: Yeah. Like Rwanda, the outer
1: Outer Banks and whole, technically like a mainland. whole national wild refuge.
0: Well, so, it's. I mean, the Outer Banks themselves are
1: giant to begin with.
0: They're long, but they're skinny.
1: Yeah. All right, so but Mantio is like a fat little thumbprint that's just
0: yeah, it's like a little bean. Oh,
1: all right. So these roads seem to be not that far apart from each other. So I guess everybody would sort of know.
0: Yeah, the ins I think and outs everyone. The town. Well, and I also think everyone knew it was small enough that everyone kind of knew each other.
1: Yeah, so all right, I, I'm changing my mind. 1960s on a small island like that, you're gonna know if somebody just disappears. Okay. I would get worried.
0: All right. So we're on, that was on Monday. Wednesday, the Coast Guard dragged some sand pits near where some of her things were found. And it was a little unclear. I kind of had to piece together from the articles all the things of hers that they did find. Um, But in these earlier days, they found a makeup kit and they found a prescription of hers near the Raleigh National Historic Site which is basically where the production happens. And then they found a pair of torn women's underwear in the same area that her wallet and purse were found. But it's unclear if those ever, like they just kind of said, oh, she had something similar to this. It was a little suspicious, but they didn't confirm that those were hers. And I don't think they were, and I'll get into that later. So on Thursday, this is July 6th, two helicopters, 15 Marines, 20 Campbell University students, several cast members from the Lost Colony, and the National Park Service officials all joined in an organized search from the Fort Raleigh National Historic Site, so where the um, production happens, all the way um, west to the Croatan Sound.
1: I'm not even sure that many people would come looking for me. Sure they that's, would. That's a lot of people. That's
0: a lot of people. Um, during their official search, a lipstick and a pack of cigarettes was found leading to the Park Service residential area. I'm not sure what that is or how it differs from the regular park area.
1: I wouldn't have a clue either.
0: Um, anyways, this whole thing's happening. Everyone's out looking for her on Thursday. And shortly after 12 o'clock Thursday afternoon, Brenda's body is found about four miles offshore in the Al- Albemarle Sound. I don't actually know how to say the name of this area. I
1: have my research paper.
0: <laughs> it's, um, I think it's called Mashos. It's this area up here.
1: I just have body found. Okay.
0: Um, well, if you're looking at the map, um, look at the Roanoke Island and then look at the body of, uh, land, the landmass, if you will, to the left of that, there's a bridge connecting the two and the Northern part of that little landmass is where she was found. Um, so they think that she was thrown off of the bridge and that her body drifted to, the place where they found it. Cause it was pretty far. I mean, that's, that's not close necessarily yeah. to the Island. So not very far away, but not, um,
1: I want to, I want to know how high that bridge is. Like maybe they found something in the autopsy that would say, Hey, listen, she, she fell from a height that's consistent.
0: of." we'll get to that. All right. Um, so she was found her blouse and her shoes were missing And she was wearing a leopard print bathing suit underneath her skirt. And she had apparently been strangled. And the report kept saying quite possibly sexually assaulted. But I don't know that there was any evidence of that. And I'm not comfortable um, alleging that that happened if there's no evidence for it. Like, it's already bad enough. We don't need to throw that in there. Um, also, just as a point, remember we talked about the torn pair of underwear that was found? Yes. The reason I am not convinced that it belonged to her is because she was found wearing a bathing suit. suit. I mean, to me, it sounds like she was found wearing a bathing suit and a skirt, like, which is a thing that I would assume you would just wear around. If you're wearing a bathing suit, you're not going to be wearing underwear. So it, I don't know. The whole thing...
1: You wear more skirts than I do. I don't understand how that mess
0: Well, works. you don't wear underwear with bathing suits.
1: Oh. Anyways. you been doing this all wrong.
0: <sighs> all right. So they brought in Danny to identify Brenda's body, which was a little weird because remember her parents had come into town on Monday. Um, but the SBI suspected Danny. He was their only suspect. And theoretically bringing him in to identify the body was their way of trying to break him. Yeah. So they were going to try and have him see the body and like break down and confess. Um, Brenda was taken back to Canton where she, um, where her parents lived, where she was raised and she was buried there on July 8th, which was her 20th birthday.
1: That's pretty bad. Yeah.
0: So, the Sheriff's Office and the SBI. Fo- By the way, do you know what SBI stands for? I've
1: been, you know what? I've been <laughs> f- wondering about this the whole time. Ever since we started recording, I'm all like, right. all right, hold on. Well, Is she saying FBI?
0: Take Is she a saying- guess. What do you think it stands for?
1: All right. First of all, let's try to get to what, it's what you're saying first.
0: S. S all right s is in snake all right bi
1: S-B-I. son of a bitch now okay. i was thinking what S-B-I. is bi okay no no all right
0: what does fbi stand for
1: female body inspector good grief
0: getting a divorce
1: oh what? oh sorry <laughs> federal bureaucracy mm-hmm. i know what svu stands for sexual victims unit
0: special <laughs> victims unit special. Oh, my oh my gosh
1: all right Good grief. All right. So S SBI. Uh S being special. What does FBI stand for?
0: You were uh, you were close.
1: Federal bureaucracy. No. Federal Bureau Bureaucrat informant.
0: Of Investigation. I'm okay. So SBI right. just stands for State
1: Bureau of Investigation. All right. It's oh, just the
0: okay. state instead of federal, it's the
1: state. You know what? Thank you for clearing that up because I welcome. was ready to look at your notes. <laughs> I am going to be like, I have no idea what she's
0: well, saying. Well, listen, the only reason I learned it was because another podcast I listened to a couple years ago took place in Georgia. And he kept referencing the GBI. And I was like, he's saying it like I'm supposed to know what it means. It was the Georgia Bureau of Investigation. <laughs> okay. So I looked it up. Anyways, State Bureau of Investigation. So... They focused almost entirely on Danny Barber as their main suspect, since he was the last one to see Brenda alive. Yeah, that sort sounded- makes sense. Um, there was a slight discrepancy in his story about what happened on Friday night. He So, remember, they don't know Brenda's missing until Saturday when she doesn't show up to work. Right, okay. right. So, Saturday, when everyone's kind of realizing something's wrong, he tells one co-worker on the production that he had driven Brenda home around 2 a.m. the night before. But then later the same night, he told someone else that he'd driven Brenda to his house, and they'd stayed up and talked, and then he'd fallen asleep.
1: So how old is this kid again?
0: Uh, Danny is 24. All right. Brenda's so 20 was
1: 19. a 24-year-old, you should be pretty coherent about getting your story straight. But at the same time like i would have i would have told my guy friends oh yeah i i took this girl home but like if i told somebody that knew her parents i would have been like oh no i dropped her off you know she got well, home
0: well i think it's it's something an just easy, i feel like maybe he just you know, got his words mixed up you yeah, know like well, i took her home versus we went home or i took her to my house or i took her to her house you know like
1: yeah maybe i feel like that's
0: an easy mix up i wonder
1: I wonder if it was asked after the point she went missing. You know. Well.
0: Was, Danny... it, asked,
1: was it asked before she went missing? Um, or was it, did he say the stuff prior to no, her No, but remember, then... he
0: had roommates. Yeah, that's true. So it's not like no one could confirm. I mean, I think his roommates talked about she was there. Yeah. I think they just thought it was suspicious that he
1: mixed the story. Some mixed
0: said at some point that he took her home. Yeah. Um, but... Anyways, after all of that, like after Brenda has been established missing or after she's been found, um, he went to the house where she was staying. So she actually rented a room from a couple named Dick and Cora Twyford and he went to them and apologized to them for not bringing her home. I'm sorry. Sorry, That's the chair. Is that my chair? Oh, it
1: was my chair.
0: Okay. We have very loud chairs in here.
1: (laughs) So he apologized. Um, he them. apologized
0: yeah. to the Twyfords for not bringing Brenda home, I guess. I mean, and that tracks, I think, as someone who feels guilty about it. He, you know, he felt bad that he didn't walk her home safely or see her home safely. Yeah. Um, so, and ev- all the accounts. The,
1: the poor guy fell asleep.
0: Well, yeah, it was late. Yeah. But all the accounts really indicate that he was telling the truth, that he felt bad um, and that he was, you know, just trying to help.
1: Yeah. I, I had, I had a guilt like that before. Oh yeah. I, uh,
0: Oh wait, I know the story. This is too sad for the,
1: I mean, it's still Dun- sad. Mm-hmm. Are you sure? Yeah. All right. It's too dark. Well, it's dark and morbid stuff. That's macabre.
0: Yeah, but this is, that's a personal friend of yours. All right. Okay. Um, next time. Next time. There were also no accounts by Danny's roommates of hearing any kind of disagreement. Um, So they did confirm that Brenda had been at the house, but they also um, hadn't heard any, like, fighting. Um, If Danny had killed her there, like, surely two people, two other people in the house would have heard something going on. Um. Despite there being zero evidence, the SBI continued to interview Danny in the days after Brenda's discovery. And the actually, the only reason that they stopped was because his brother got him a lawyer and they kind of backed off. Um, but the rest of the summer that Danny was down there, they had an SBI agent in the audience during every performance of The Lost Colony, hmm. which seems a little extra to me.
1: Is, um, is Danny still alive today?
0: no actually unfortunately so the SBI continued monitoring danny they actually like monitored him like through his, the rest of his life i mean not like tapped his phone monitored him but they knew you know when he kind of moved up in the business world um he got married um let's see the whole time he stuck to his story he didn't um, like deviate at all. And he got phone calls as late as 1985. So that's almost 20 years later. And then the last one was in 1995. And his wife actually, um, talked about him getting that call. He took it in the kitchen and she said he didn't seem like, he never seemed like panicked when the phone calls would come in. She said he just kind of seemed, um, like resigned, like, kind of like, why are you guys calling me? You know, like, haven't you, figured it out yet um and like i sort of mentioned earlier danny is not alive anymore he actually died unexpectedly in 2011 which if my math is right he would have been around 68
1: Mm.
0: so um brenda's case is still technically unsolved but there is another suspect. That was never really investigated thoroughly, despite a lot of circumstantial evidence that would suggest his involvement.
1: Who might that be?
0: The, well, that's who we're going to talk about next. Okay. His name is Dr. Linus Edwards.
1: Like Linus from uh, Peanuts, Linus?
0: Yeah, I mean, the same name, but I'm going to guess... Very guy. different
1: okay. personalities. Does he carry around a blanket and have a?
0: He might. All Let right. me tell you about him because I got a lot of good, uh, a lot of good bullet points that are going to paint a nice, vivid
1: picture. Okay. All
0: right, you vivid ready? A, vivid away. All right. Vivid away. So, Doctor Edwards. Are you done? Yeah. Okay. Doctor Edwards was, he was the local dentist, and he was actually a dentist in the army. He was described as, this is a quote, a brilliant man who, oh, sorry, <laughs> I read that quote wrong. He was described as brilliant, comma, a man who enjoyed working crossword puzzles and talking about his membership in Mensa.
1: What is Mensa? I'm glad you asked. Uh, Mensa. <laughs> how do I keep falling
0: places? Mensa is basically an organization for people with high IQs, but it's a really, really really obnoxious like the people who have mensa membership i'm doing a lot of air quotes that i realize people can't see they it's like a requirement that you have to brag that you're in it they're like the people in an argument who are like well i'm a lot you know i have a high iq and so you might not understand the things i'm talking about like
1: i want to see if i have a higher iq than okay so
0: guy. you can take the
1: test later well no let's just do you have his number Do I have whose number? Uh, The dentist's IQ number.
0: No, I don't have his Uh, IQ number.
1: I thought you meant do I have his phone number. And Uh, I was like, you're going
0: to be real disappointed with the rest of this story, man. Oh. Oh. Um, Quick side note on Mensa while we're talking about it. The reason I know what it is is because another podcast I listen to, which is called The Cast. it's unrelated, but it's very good. One of the co-hosts, Jamie Loftus, she's also a comedian, she did a whole thing where she took the Mensa test like as a joke, but she got accepted and she says it actually wasn't that difficult. And
1: it gives me hope.
0: She kinda did it like ironically, but then like the people in like the mensa Facebook page or whatever were like very like abusive and like used very threatening language. Like they were really horrible to her. Hmm. And she's a comedian. She's like she has a good sense of humor, so she laughs about it and she posts about it a lot. But it's, it's just known as like a group for douchebags. Oh. Okay. <laughs> Back to the story. Doctor Edwards was a member of Mensa. Oh, I
1: was just gonna give myself like a one oh two on the IQ score. Okay.
0: We'll do an IQ score next
1: time. I don't even know I don't even know what a good IQ is.
0: Uh, I think 102 is pretty good. Is it? I think. Okay. I think triple digits is good. Okay. Uh, but I don't know how high it is. Give me a, I'm a triple digit fan. Right. Maybe it's like, I don't know. All right. So <laughs> Dr. Andrews, I probably should have started with this. He was six foot two. So oh, nice big, and tall. That's a big dude. 195 pounds. Uh, skinny size. This is another quote. He was an alcoholic bully who rained hell on his families. Yeah, sounds like a. Douchebag. So far we're doing great. While he was in the army, he had drunkenly choked his first wife until her daughter threatened him with a mallet. That was the only reason he stopped. Um, know. while he was drunk one night, I think also this is while he was in the army, he talked of having killed a girl named Sheila in Chicago. But North Carolina investigators never confirmed the validity of the story, which I think They mean that they didn't investigate the story. In 1960, after an argument with his wife, I think still his first wife, he slit his wrist with a razor. Nice. Stable personality. In 1964, he married a woman named Dottie Fry. He regularly beat her, regularly sent her to the hospital, but she never pressed charges and she was reportedly terrified of him. Very sad.
1: Do we have a picture of this guy?
0: Um, I don't think we're posting a picture of him. We have a picture of Dottie. Okay. Um, he's nothing to look at. Also, the only picture I could find was a really blurry one that's uh, not I'll great. Find, I'll find a good picture. Okay. We'll put this
1: guy to terms. All right.
0: We'll see. Just imagine him in your head. In 1967, so the year that Brenda was murdered, he was having an affair with a local woman. Everyone knew about it. But he was still very controlling and very jealous of his wife, Dottie. So, openly sleeping with another woman, but still has to have
1: full control of his wife. Hmm. All right. Sounds like a guy with a high IQ.
0: Yeah, sounds like a great person. Not problematic at all.
1: That's why I'm low triple digits. (laughs) I do all right.
0: All right. On the night of Brenda's disappearance, Dr. Edwards and Dottie, his wife, had an argument across town at their home on Puddle Lane. This is another place where you can reference the map, but you're going to want to reference the... Second map. Second map.
1: I got it right Before here. For
0: everyone else, the street map. So Puddle Lane is the is up on the right-hand corner. It's just kind of a cross town. Um, They had an argument. Edwards threatened to kill Dottie. Great. And Dottie, smart girl, left. <laughs> she left their house to go stay with a friend. Um, so... Dottie leaves the house, someone sees her leave, a neighbor sees her leave, and then the neighbor also sees Dr. Edwards leave a little while later, theoretically going to look for her. And here's the interesting side note. Dottie worked, okay, remember we said Danny had two roommates. Yes. Okay, their names were, I forget.
1: Hansel and Gretel.
0: No. Well, one of them was named Earl. (laughs) And Earl worked at a paper mill with Dottie. And so Earl and Dottie were friends, and Dottie had been to Earl's house, a.k.a. Danny's house, before. I don't know what the circumstances were, but Dottie had been to their house before. And Edwards, being the stand-up fellow he was, was jealous of their friendship and maybe suspicious that something was going on.
1: I'm so confused right now.
0: What are you confused about?
1: Hold on. So the wife of the... Dentist. hmm
0: Was friends, friends with, with Danny's roommate.
1: Danny's... How old was his roommate? Tw-
0: well, Danny was 24.
1: How old was the doctor at the time? I don't know. Oh. I didn't look that up. We'll cut that part out.
0: Okay. Well, Dottie had been to Danny's house before to see Earl. Dr. Edwards knew about that and didn't like that idea. So, here's the theory. Dr. Edwards drove to the Burnside Road house thinking that Dottie was there with Earl. It's super late. It's really dark. Edwards is probably drunk. And the only light, there's either going to be street lights and his headlights. Those are the only lights that there, there's going to be out there. He sees Brenda walking home. So if you look at that map, her house on Ananias Dare Street. Is kind of in between the Burnside Road house and the Puddle Lane area. Yeah. Right? So it's plausible that she's taking one of those roads to get to her house, and Dr. Edwards, on his way to Burnside Road, sees her walking kind of in the area. Like we said, he's drunk and it's dark. Brenda and Dottie kind of looked similar. This is where we have the picture of them together. Um, the all of the articles are were like, oh, they looked so similar. They don't look that similar. They're Who, both like just
1: the hair.
0: Well, Who, they're both blonde. They had short hair. It's hard to tell in the picture, but they were both blondes. Like they're both young, pretty women that are like slender and around the same height. So he sees this young blonde woman with a similar haircut to his wife walking. He's in a drunken rage, mistakes Brenda for Dottie runs up on her in his car, strangles her in a rage thinking that it's Dottie and then drives her out to the man's Harbor bridge, which is that big bridge that stretches across the way 64 and throws her body into the water.
1: So the bridge is, uh, if you wanted to look it up, it's 64 stretching from pretty much like, not necessarily Man's Harbor.
0: Well, it's called the Man's Harbor Bridge.
1: Oh, so hold on. There's two bridges then.
0: Well, the one we're talking about is the...
1: The North, north Northern Bridge. All right. Okay. Stretching from the main island <laughs> to the center island. All right. I am following.
0: That's not an island. What is that? That's the mainland. The main (laughs) land. That's just the state.
1: (laughs) Well, from my point of view, it looks like an island.
0: All right. I'm pretty sure that's the mainland.
1: All right. That's what you call it, right? Yeah.
0: Okay. We're on the mainland.
1: U.S. The U.S. Call it the U.S. Okay.
0: All right. So this is all obviously circumstantial. There's not hard evidence. But here's some things that support this theory. In nineteen seventy nine, Dottie told FBI agents that her husband had reported her missing Saturday morning, so the morning after Brenda's death. And when he got home and found that Dottie had returned home, this is a quote, his face was white as a ghost, and he said, I thought you were gone forever. Thumb, thumb. <laughs> dun, dun. He also reportedly told Sorry,
1: her that that's the SVU stuff we were talking about. Yeah, earlier. yeah, that's our I don't I don't know what kind of sound to make for
0: I'm sure I can find an SVU sound. Murder
1: to, whatever. murder sound. We'll Oof. fix it and post. Okay.
0: <laughs> All right, Edwards also reportedly told his wife, this is another quote, if anyone asks to tell her that he stayed at home Friday night. That, Right, so that's suspicious, but we talked about this, remember? Yeah. So I think it could go one of two ways. I like to err on the side of the creepier version where he legitimately thought he had killed his wife and then reports her missing the next day to, like, cover his tracks and then comes home and finds her there and, like, realizes, like, the biggest mistake that he's made and, like... I mean, can you imagine if you thought you killed someone, and then you came home and they were there?
1: Pancakes, anyway? Oh my gosh. <laughs> I
0: just... Walking, uh, up,
1: walking into so pancakes, creepy. maybe? I don't know. All
0: right. I don't... I will say, this story isn't 100% convincing me that...
1: Either people do?
0: Well, it's not convincing me that he thought he had killed his wife, because I can see it going... Because here's my questions. If he thought he had killed Dottie, mm-hmm. right? He's he we're assuming that he never looks at her fully enough or can recognize divine. her. Well, I can understand if he strangled her and thought it was Dottie. Yeah, but you, But the then car, like he's putting the body in his car.
1: Yeah.
0: He's throwing her out. out her I mean he threw out her purse,
1: right? That's a that's assuming like it's assuming a lot of things. I know. Well, that's why it's unsolved. Well, that's the thing, too. Like, why would you throw out the purse and all that? Like...
0: I don't know why it, you would throw out the purse if you thought...
1: It was your wife. Because why your not, wife. Why not keep it at home? Or No, because...
0: I don't know. But he could have maybe been setting it up yeah. to be like, she disappeared. Oh, yeah. Who knows? He's a terrible I'm not, person. I'm not very good with murder. Alright, um, let's see.
1: I'd never get away with it.
0: So, Dottie also said that she tried to talk to the sheriff several times, but they, quote, seemed uninterested. And the sheriff actually had said earlier that Dottie was probably unlikely to talk about her husband. So he, like, just assumed, like, she's not th- she's not going to talk about her husband, so let's not even bother. Do you
1: think she was, like, trying wolf a lot and then...
0: No, I think he. I think he just knew she was terrified of him, mm. and so well, that, he didn't think that she was gonna like.
1: What a f- idiot for like thinking that because that, that that could have potentially been like a case solving.
0: Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, they they very much botched this case. To continue on that, um, in 1986. Dottie told SBI agents that Edwards had confessed to her to killing Brenda. She didn't really elaborate on when that happened, but she said that he confessed to it. She said the same thing again in 1997 in a story to the News and Observer, which is the Raleigh newspaper. But apparently, okay, so remember this is all, um, all this information is coming from a series of articles in 2018. So John Raley, the guy who wrote the articles, he spoke to her in 2018, and according to him, she said that she has no memory of the case anymore. So, hmm. she's also elderly now. So
1: maybe she suppressed it.
0: She's probably yeah, like blocked that. Sh- <laughs> um, the reason? Let's see.
1: Oh, after a long time of nobody believing her, I would have, I would have as well. Yeah. Like you know what? I'm- if it's kinda, not worth it, it's not worth it. Yeah, guess, she probably
0: like, had a lot of... She's like, I've already told you. It's a mental block right yeah. there. The reason Edwards was never fully investigated after these allegations that his wife made is because he killed himself in 1971. Uh. So, yeah, he... Um, there's this whole... In my opinion, John Rayleigh spent way too long focusing on that in his articles, but um Edwards was drunk it was Valentine's Day 1971 he didn't leave any kind of note but he called the sheriff the local doctor and his lawyer and told them to come to his house and then he shot himself so that anything with that anything that he could say obviously we're not going to get from him He's
1: taken to his grave yeah Six
0: um the So what he did say when he was alive, about a month after Brenda's murder, he went to the sheriff's department, drunk, as per usual, and he had this big, huge, drunken rant about how he didn't kill Brenda and how everyone had gotten the dates wrong and he hadn't been out that night and all this stuff. Which sounds very suspicious to me <laughs> that you're going to show up at the sheriff's office and be like, I didn't kill that girl. um. But apparently there had been a rumor going around Mantio that he was involved. And it says that the sheriff just calmed him down um, and took him home. So just chilling, you know, don't take him seriously. It's fine. Um, The following month, September, the SBI gave Edwards a polygraph test and asked him questions about his whereabouts and activities the night of Brenda's murder. According to the results, he quote, did not show deception, so they just eliminated him as a suspect and never really looked into it again. But polygraphs are traditionally very unreliable. They're not permissible in as evidence in court. Like there's all sorts of stuff in polygraphs about like what makes them not great.
1: I could pass a polygraph.
0: I'm sure you could, which is why they're not. Reliable.
1: That one hundred and two <laughs> IQ score is going to really help. me
0: Uh huh. We're gonna, we will do an IQ test for you, right. and in the next episode, we will update what your IQ Sweet. is. Okay. All right. Please so here's triple digits. A couple last notes on how the investigators allegedly botched, further botched the case, um, because something I didn't mention at the beginning was Brenda's sister. One of her sisters is. I think all of her siblings are still alive, but one of her sisters had commented about the case and how the sheriff's department had um, really not done a good job and how it was like a boys' club and they just like kind of, you know, didn't really work hard to find out who it was. I think a good example of that is they gave this guy a polygraph test. They said he passed, and so they just never looked at him again. They were like, well, it doesn't matter that you're hugely problematic and, like, drunk and super violent and, like, we're out that night and, you know. Did they know, give
1: Danny a polygraph
0: test? I don't know. I don't think so because he had a lawyer. Ooh. But, anyways, it wasn't Danny. All right. They also really botched the, um, like, the crime scene. So, here's some points on that. All of the physical evidence in Brenda's case has been lost. Just... No one knows where it is. It's it's nowhere. Um, so that's great. The official photos taken of the crime scene came back blank. So, like, the film got developed and they were just all blank. And although there were other photographers there, no other photos of the crime scene have ever been found. Hmm. So no physical evidence, no photos. Um, this is really f***ed up. There were two photographers who were there. And they reportedly removed a necklace that Brenda was wearing when she was found. So first of all, here's this young woman that we've found. We're going to go ahead and like remove jewelry from her body. They washed it off in the water where she was. And then they photographed it. And then a few hours later, they took the necklace that they had washed off and photographed. And they gave it to her dad instead of taking it in as evidence.
1: Hmm.
0: So remember, she was strangled. Yeah. So, like, very likely that... I mean, she was also in the water, so who's to say what physical evidence could have been recovered? But an item around her neck... Like, don't, don't mess with the crime scene. I mean, it was 1967, but still... It is noted in the articles that it's possible that investigators realized that they had compromised the evidence and that they wouldn't be able to pursue, pursue like, real charges against any kind of suspect. So even if they did have reasonable evidence to believe it was Danny or to believe that it was Dr. Edwards, they realized that if they were to take that to court, a defense would, like, tear apart the whole case by saying... Like, you f***ed up the crime scene, like, you don't have any, like, you f***ed up the evidence. Yeah, but this it's better to,
1: better to try than not try, I guess.
0: It is, but that is a common thing, I think, that prosecutors will do, huh. per my knowledge of Law & Order SVU. Sometimes they won't pursue a case if they don't have good evidence. Or if they've, like, compromised the evidence because they know it'll get thrown out.
1: Doesn't the DA normally step in and go, but wait, there's more and goes, this is the way we're gonna do it.
0: No, they'll oh. be like, uh, you did this thing, and so now all the evidence is oh. compromised. So that's the case of Brenda Joyce Holland. It is still unsolved, it is very tragic, and it's close to home, and that it's physically close to us. Yeah, it's about a mile or. About a mile. it's about
1: <laughs> not a mile it's
0: about an hour uh-huh. from here i was
1: gonna say if it's um, a mile we're, we're living straight on the beach people
0: yeah um i mean i didn't know i had no idea about this my dad actually is the one who gave me um this idea um he knew about it um and i do think it's interesting uh that it took place near the lost colony i think that general area kind of has a Spooky,
1: Bad voodoo. Yeah, not a great Bring find. some sage down there. We'll burn it while we go watch The Lost Colony. I can't wait
0: for our trip. All right. <laughs> um, well, we want to thank everyone for listening. We also do want to give a special thank you to, first, Susan Jennings. She is my best friend in the entire world. And she designed our logo for us. You can follow her, find and follow her on Instagram at Susan Jennings Design. We'll have her tagged. And, Jarek, do you want to thank our second person? John Brown. John Brown. John Brown did all of our music. Um, He's incredible. He came over to our house twice and, like, worked with us to get a theme going. And then he came over a second time just to record the typewriter sounds and the wind chimes, the wind chimes are actually my grandma's wind chimes that we took from her house. Um, I'm about to tell you what his Instagram is in a second. It is John dot Pluto dot Brown. He will also be tagged in the Instagram. So look at him there and yeah. Thanks everyone for listening. Thanks for all the
1: thanks, guys.
0: preliminary support and we'll be back next week with another spooky unsolved or creepy other
1: story Dark, morbid
0: and we'll come we'll be back next week with Jerk's IQ like so uh-huh. tune in for that at the very least okay bye